Do we choose love or pity? Hey, welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot as she called us to live to a higher standard every day and not be satisfied with something shallow instead of what God wants for us. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by her life and message. Today we continue our series with Valerie Elliott Shepherd joining Elizabeth on our Gateway to Joy program. It's part of the Child Training Series. It's part five and six of this ten-part series, Love is a Choice and Self-Pity. Joining us today, it's Amy Van Dyke, lead curator for the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., There currently is a special exhibit on Elizabeth Elliot's life and ministry. She'll talk about whether she was familiar with the story uh, from a young age, or is this something that was new to her when she started to work on the exhibit. Also from the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, Rachel Johnson joins us again. She'll be talking about authority, tenderness, and the first time she remembers hearing Elizabeth speak. Right now, let's begin with part five of child training and join Valerie and Elizabeth for Love is a Choice. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you again today about the demands of love. My daughter, Valerie Shepard, has been talking about some of her own struggles in learning to love her children and having the courage to love them enough to say no and to administer discipline when discipline is necessary. And of course, in the scriptures, we're told over and over and over again that if we love God, we have to do what he says. I had a letter, Val, from a lady that said, my husband and I are both good Christians, but we hate each other. (laughs) And of course, I had to point out to them that they were sadly mistaken if they thought they were good Christians because God says, if anyone says that he loves God and hates his his brother, brother, he is a liar. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty strong words. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In loving children, mothers especially because they're the ones that spend most of the time with them, Mothers are continually exposed to their own selfishness because I know from in my own experience that what I want to do takes priority over what the children need often. And you could say this, I mean, in any number of different activities, whether it's that you love to shop or whether you love to clean house or whether you love to read books or whether you love to watch a soap opera, all love demands that we give up those things that we love in order to train, teach, spend time with our children. I have 
out of eight children, of course, I have several that have certain habits that I think I don't know if I can stand seeing this go on as they grow up. And of course, I've talked to them about the habit and I've asked God to help them and I've you know tried different things to help them to stop these things and and I think of how love always God tells me that his love always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres whether the person is getting what you want them to get or learning what you want them to learn or not a mother has to keep on loving a mother has to keep on hoping that God will do what he wants to do with that child. And love covers over a multitude of sins, whether it's little tiny bad habits or whether it's major sins. You know, we mothers have to be the love of God to our children. And it's through us that, our, and through us, through many other people too, but mostly through us, especially in those younger years when children will see what real love is. So it demands our time. I often feel sorry for mothers who stand in grocery stores talking to each other about how their time is taken up with carpooling, their time is taken up with just driving kids back and forth to things. And I think even though they've committed themselves to staying at home, they're so concerned about getting their children to and from different activities in order to give them good opportunities in life. I don't know if this is true of all over the United States or if it's especially bad in Southern California, but I feel like most mothers are trying so hard to do so many activities for their children. And I think it makes the children grow up too fast. It makes the children think that they have to have a lot of activities in their lives to keep them happy. And they don't have the opportunity to be children, to to play, to create, to read and even to sleep. Many children are so busy with um, the sports activities and then the homework that they don't even get the amount of sleep that they need. These are the demands that the world puts on them, too. They've, they've got mm-hmm. to have a certain kind of rollerblade or a certain kind of T-shirt or, or certain they've got lessons. to make sure that they don't miss out on this video and that new toy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It creates... Uh, discontent, doesn't it? It mm-hmm. feeds self-centeredness. Val, I get many questions from people saying, how in the world am I supposed to love somebody that's not the least bit lovable? I don't feel any love at all for that person. Does God ask me to love them? How, how do we do this? Well, if we're Christians, of course, we are being made aware more and more as we grow that that we are commanded to love everyone, whether they're right next to us in our house, whether they're next door, whether they're across town, we are to show the love of Christ to them. If they're especially irritating, then we, of course, try to avoid spending any time with them. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus treat this person? And they're may need to uh, be a time when you speak the truth in love to a person who may be demanding selfishly too much time from you. But at the beginning of a growing in love, a relationship with that person, we have to learn how to pray in the midst of 
being irritated. We have to learn to, to look upward in our hearts and say, Lord, help me to give the right answer to whatever this person's saying to me. Help me to respond in the way you would want me to respond. Many times uh, I've, my mouth has been shut as I'm about to retort or respond in a sarcastic or, quote, clever way because I'm irritated or because I'm trying to defend myself. And I, I realize the, it's the Holy Spirit, not that I'm always listening and, and doing exactly what the Holy Spirit tells me to do, but I, I know there have been times when I know he has helped me to stay quiet and to try to look at the person with love and kindness. What God commands, God enables, doesn't he? Right. He told the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. He was demanding that the man do the one thing in the whole world that the man could not possibly do. And I have to fall back on that myself over and over again. When I feel as though God is asking me some, to do something impossible, I remember that God's command is his enabling. He will not ask me to perform any task which is going to be impossible. I may think it's impossible, mm-hmm. but that's the demand of love. Mm-hmm. And love, mm-hmm. with a capital L, will provide the needed grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our children need to see their mothers cheerfully giving themselves to them. And I've seen myself sighing when I need to do something for a child. And I know that that's the wrong spirit, and I know it teaches them, of course, the wrong attitude to have about having to do something that needs to be done. So I've been caught and convicted many times when I see my own child sigh over something that needs to be done because I know they've seen me or they've seen their father sigh. And I think that we have to be on our toes asking the Lord continually to change us, to mold us into his image. Um, And if he does give us children, then of course we have a great responsibility towards them because he's given us a blessing, he's given us a gift, and we have the responsibility to give ourselves in service to them in whatever weaknesses and foibles and sad things there are in their in in their lives i'm i'm always encouraged not just to think of the phrase this too shall pass but to think of how the lord is growing them and he's not finished with them and so i don't need to be discouraged over the way it is right now because it can change with the lord's power i remember a time when I suddenly realized that I did not need to be discouraged by their negative words or their discouraging words over my ideas. I needed to say, no matter how disparaging your remarks are towards what I think we should do, because I'm the mother, this is what we're going to do. And because the Lord has given me hope in because he's made me the authority, he's given me some ideas that are good and I should follow through on them and not be discouraged by their negative or critical remarks, which I, for many years I really was. I would give up something because they didn't think it was a good idea. But you stuck with the idea that the whole family was going to get up on Easter morning and go up on the hill. <laughs> yes, that was that's everybody a good in the family thought that was a crazy idea. Almost everybody. Yes, in the family. I had suggested this to my husband this past spring, the two days before Easter. I said, "What do you think if we, if I fix a, a bagels and tea, and we get the children up before the sun rises and go up a hill, 
a pretty good long walk before we got to where we had to get to to be near the to see the sun, sunrise. And he said, "I like that idea." And so he, and I said, "So will you support me in giving this idea to the children, telling them that's what we're going to do?" And he said, "Sure." So. We suggested that to the children, and of course, there were a few of couple of them who rolled their eyes and said, "We have to get up at what time?" And we had to get them up at six. This was on Easter morning, at six, in order to be at the top of the hill by six thirty, which is when the sun was actually going to be showing itself. And of course, it was light when we started, but it, it was so funny to me to see this long line of people, all eight of us, all ten of us, excuse me. Uh, straggling, those that were straggling behind because they were slower, and those that were ahead and wanted to get there first, and some of us with bags of food and tea and cups, and uh, some, you know, urging others on. But I was the one who had pushed and shoved and made everybody get up and get dressed and have the right clothing on and take the blankets and all this. And and I laughed when we got to the top of the hill, and I was spreading out the blanket, and I said, "I I think I'm the only one really happy to be here." And the older two, the well, my husband and one of the older two said, "Well, Mama, we wouldn't have done it unless you had made us do it, but we're glad we're here once once we've gotten up here." So we had a lovely time, but it was it's often the mother that needs to push ahead on her idea that that will be a good family thing to do. Well, the Bible says love never fails. That doesn't mean that love is always successful. It means that love never runs out, if it's the love of God we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Val, for being with me this Welcome. week. Child Training, Part 5 of a 10-part series, Love is a Choice. Later on, a Gateway to Joy program called Self-Pity. But right now, Amy Van Dyke, lead curator for the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., has been working on an exhibit that currently is at the museum about Elizabeth and her life. She'll talk about the story and about how she knew from a young age about what happened to the five missionaries in Ecuador. I knew the story. So I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was a preacher for 20 years. And in evangelical circles, in America especially, you heard this story Growing up, this is something that was taught in Sunday school. This is something that you're told when you go to vacation Bible school and you hear about missionaries. This is a story that I had heard, and having a heart for missions from a young age is something that I really gravitated toward and understood. So I actually did know the story. I had read Through Gates of Splendor years ago, so I reread that book and read some of her other works as well. And kind of got my history more straight because as a child you hear you know the Sunday school version and so forth but then when you're an adult and you look back at it again there's so much more nuance to it that you didn't quite grasp when you were younger and so that's been fascinating to me to be able to look at it as an adult and just understand the the sacrifice the risk the determination that it took for all of them to do this and understand that they may not come out on the other side. They all knew that. And to be able to go into a situation like that is is hard to grasp. But it's it's been a wonderful journey for me as an adult to revisit all of this story. From the Museum of the Bible, that's Amy Van Dyke. 
Rachel Johnson will be joining us a little bit later. She works with the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. She'll talk about the first time she remembers hearing Elizabeth. Right now, though, it's part six of Child Training. Join Valerie Elliott Shepard and Elizabeth Elliott as they talk about self-pity. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking today with my daughter, Valerie Shepard, from California. Such a pleasure when the two of us can get together. It's kind of rare. And Val has many things to say that I need to hear. And today, Val, you're going to be talking about what? Self-pity. Self-pity. Self-pity is satanic, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell us what you have to say. First of all, if we are children of God, we know that we have a Heavenly Father who is infinitely wiser than we are and loves us so much that He knows exactly what we need for our growth in grace, for our sanctification. And He knows what trials can be used and will be used for our good and for His glory. So I think I want to challenge people to, first of all, believe the truth that they are children of God. If they are Christians, they are children of God, and their Heavenly Father gives to them and allows for them whatever is right and will bring glory to Him. So if we have a hard situation that we are in, not to be full of self-pity, not to be thinking, my situation is unique, nobody has ever had this kind of trouble before, and so I must do something about it, but rather to think in terms of, thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted this trial to me because you wanted to test my faith and you wanted to see if I could be thankful, obedient, and a trusting child. It reminds me of that beautiful hymn that many of our listeners know, I trust. Uh, When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Yes, there are times of peace and times of sorrow. In either case, we are to accept what God has given us without complaining Mm -hmm. about our lot. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, we are told by the world that we need to dwell on our past, we need to dig it up, and we need to deal with it. Well, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on for the prize of the mark of the high calling of Christ. And it is wrong to dwell on something that happened to us in the past. We may need to deal with it in simply giving it up, giving it to the cross, giving it to Christ and saying, thank you, Lord, that I am your child and you have forgiven me and you've, you can forgive the person that did something wrong to me, but I'm not going to dwell on how to get even or how this thing should affect my life every day. I think there's too much that we hear that because we're victims of something that happened to us in the past, then therefore we are inadequate to serve or we're uh, incomplete in some way. And we are complete in the Lord. 
the Lord, when He saves us, makes us whole again. And He wants to give us, He makes us a new creation. We are new creatures, and therefore the old has passed away. I think there's a, a very subtle lure that comes from our enemy, the devil, to make us feel that we're in a special category and that we are very complicated people. We're mm -hmm. really very deep and complicated. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to spend weeks, months, perhaps years uh, working through whatever this problem was that we think we had in the past. And I don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. And of course, psychology and psychiatry are very new in in this century, really. There's never was such a thing mm -hmm. until a hundred years ago or so. And I just wonder what Christians were doing before they were told that they needed to work through things and dredge up all sorts of memories that perhaps were not even real memories, but imagined. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't agree with you more. And I that, think um, we need to memorize and know this verse in our hearts from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. I hadn't thought of that. I was glad that you quoted the other words about forgetting those things which are behind. How, how can we do that? By choosing to do it, by just leaving it at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. That is where Jesus dealt with all the sin of the world. As uh, F.W.H. Myers puts it in his wonderful poem called St. Paul, desperate tides of a whole world's anguish forced through the channels of a single heart. And my sorrows and my trials and your sorrows and the sins and everything else were a part of that desperate tide, but it went through his heart and does just what you're telling us, redeems us, delivers us, saves us. Mm -hmm. I know in my own life when I have started to feel sorry for myself because of my sin, because I think I'm never going to get over or past a particular weakness in my character, my husband reminds me that I am a child of God and that he's even allowing me to see my weakness so that his power may rest upon me, so that I may be totally dependent upon what Christ can do through me instead of thinking that I have got to get this together in my own flesh, I've got to get this straight. And when I've seen myself do the same thing over and over again, it could be yelling at the children. When I've made, over and over again, I've made a resolve that I will not yell anymore. <laughs> and I find my, my anger rise and I find myself frustrated and my voice begins to rise. And at the same moment that I'm starting to raise my voice, there's an inner, still, small voice that reminds me that that is not the way to speak to my children. And so I'll get discouraged. I'll be full of self-pity that I have done this again. Um, and I will cry and my husband will say, you're forgetting that you're 
a child of God that he promises to pour his grace through and he promises to help you. So go back to him again, confess it again, go back and say, I need you to control me. I need you to help me with my thoughts and help me to be motivated by love rather than motivated by my own set of rules that if they are being broken, I think the world has come to an end. There is no way that these children are going to learn to grow up in the Lord, to serve Him, to glorify Him if they can't get this one little thing straight. For example, they're not to play after breakfast. They are excused from the table and they are to go get their teeth brushed and come back to me and say, is there anything that I can do for you, Mama, before we start school? 8.30 is our time when we have family devotional time, when I lead it because Walt is gone. And so between 8 and 8.30, they are supposed to be available to me, or if I tell them to, they're supposed to be playing with Theo and Sarah. And over and over and over again, they forget that they are supposed to come do this. And so I'm just giving an example of how my frustration rises because I'm motivated by my schedule, my rules, and I'm forgetting the love of Christ. I'm forgetting that they will learn eventually, and they are still children, and the love of Christ will eventually help them to be uh, reminded of what they are supposed to do. And of course, we should remember how patient the Lord is with us. With us, right. We are His children, and He's merciful and patient and gracious, and He is helping us. And you are helping your children daily, one day at a time, to understand these rules and to live an ordered life. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. God is not the author of confusion. But mm-hmm. it is line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, as the Word of God says. I think we as mothers have to accept the fact that that's part of mothering, is to repeat. And if we're motivated by Christ's love, then there's no end to the number of times we can repeat but with gentleness and with a loving spirit. Of course, because of our sin, we get out of control and and we're not motivated by by his love we're motivated by this desire to be in control ourselves our own flesh wanting to be in control and that's what brings self-pity so often is that we we can't do it by ourselves the lord tells us in jeremiah i know the thoughts that i think toward you thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. If we think of him as a hard master and ourselves as hopeless cases, let's remember those words, that his thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, and how marvelously patient and kind he is in teaching us the lessons that we need to learn. Thank you, Val, for being with me today. The subject of self-pity It's a warning to all of us. I don't suppose there's any one of us that's not tempted over and over again to feel very sorry for ourselves. Somebody hurt me. Somebody said something nasty. Somebody didn't thank me. Whatever. Give it to God. That's entitled Self-Pity. 
It's Child Training Part 6 of a 10-part series. Well, before we go, we'll hear from Rachel Johnson. She's the Creative Media Director for the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. She said Elizabeth had a mix of authority and tenderness. You know, the first time that I think I heard her was after I started working with the foundation. That sounds strange. I, I'm, I probably heard her voice before then, um, but I more vividly remember hearing it um, after I started working with the foundation about three years ago. And she just has such a presence. Um, her voice is such a mix of compassion and tenderness, but then also it makes you sit up and listen. Everything she shared was you could tell that her heart was behind it and and she shares with conviction and um, the truth um, of the scripture just comes through so loudly. I just remember being so in awe and, and just impressed by hearing her speak for the first time. Rachel Johnson. Thank you, Rachel. Well, we're just over the halfway point in our series. Join us next time for part seven and eight in our series, Child Training. Hey, thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you on that walk, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. More talks, devotionals, Gateway to Joy programs, and more. elizabethelliot.org. Until next time, may God remind you daily. You're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are those everlasting arms 